Welcome to the St. Gabriel Catholic Radio Faith Dialogue with Bishop Robert J. Brennan, Bishop for the Diocese of Columbus, for the third week of July and on the church calendar, the 16th week of Ordinary Time. Welcome, Your Excellency. Thank you. I'm glad to uh, speak with you today. We have a big week ahead of us. Uh, Deacon Eugene Joseph will be ordained to the priesthood for the Diocese of Columbus on Thursday in Birmingham, England. That's that's right. Many people know this, and some of this was in the Catholic Times, and many people know him from his service in um, the parish, his home parish of uh, Resurrection in New Albany. But um, Deacon Eugene went back to England, where his parents live, uh, just before Christmas, because he needed to change some things with his visa to be moved from a student visa to a religious worker visas. And uh, by the time the process was actually done, um, England was in a shutdown, a second shutdown. They shut down uh, right after Christmas, St. Stephen's Day, and uh, and only recently began to open things up. But that meant the embassy closed. So we got Everything moved forward, but he couldn't go to get it stamped. It was, it was a simple thing that needed to be done, but an impossibility. And even now, there's such a backlog. Um, it's not healthy for him to be just sitting around waiting. He was doing some diaconate work while he was there. But um, he'll be ordained a priest. He'll have a temporary assignment there so he can begin to do the work of a priest Um but yes, you're correct. He'll be ordained a priest of the Diocese of Columbus, um, and he'll be um, for us. And we look forward to his being home shortly and be taking up a, an assignment right here in this diocese. So we, we, we look forward to that. The good news is um, we invite people, especially those who know Deacon Eugene, to uh, view the Mass. It will be live-streamed from Birmingham in England. Um, at least one of our priests, I believe two, but I know Father Bob Penhalleric is home visiting family in, in England, and he'll be there to represent me um, for and this diocese. Um, and uh, one of the auxiliary bishops, Bishop Wright, who at one point was the pastor of uh, Deacon Eugene's uh, family parish, so there'll there'll be some nice uh, parts to this, uh, but um, and we but we can all participate. So I plan to tune in myself on Thursday afternoon at two o'clock. We'll have the information and the link on our diocesan webpage. Is there going to be any communication with Deacon Eugene Joseph this week between you and him? I hope so. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to connect with him just beforehand, and uh, but but certainly after, uh, we uh, I've had the chance to touch base with him along the way, and I know he works a lot with Father Hans. So, um, so yes, I do look forward to talking with him. You know, gold is tested in fire, isn't it? And I think Deacon Eugene Joseph could attest to that. Oh boy, oh boy, that's right. I mean, even his diaconate ordination was a little out of the the order of things because at that point, um, his family he was, he was baptized in, as, as into the Syro Malabar right, and uh, and so he needed special permission from Rome, and so we had a, that hap- came at, later than his diaconate ordination. So I ordained him. On September 14th, the triumph, Feast of the Triumph of the Cross, uh, in 2019, a few weeks after his classmates. 
And the same thing is happening now with priesthood. First was for church reasons, now for government reasons. But but you know what? You're right. Gold is tested in fire. It shows uh, his perseverance and his response to God's call. Well, on to uh, some other big news. Uh, Friday, Apostolic's letter, Moto Proprio by the Supreme Pontiff, uh, Pope Francis, on the use of the Roman liturgy prior to the reform of 1970. Yes, and uh, of course that got a lot of uh, attention in, 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 in the church and in the world. Um, and, and, and there are a couple of uh, important points to be made here. Um, I think before you begin on that, the, before we get into the document itself, into the motu proprio, um, we have to begin with the remembrance of what the Mass actually is. So the Mass no matter what form, whether it's the, the Novus Ordo after the reform of Vatican II or whether it's the extraordinary form according to the Missal of 1962, either way, it's the, it's the real presence of Jesus Christ. It's the, the primary act of the Holy Mass is the worship of God. It's to give all honor and glory to God. We proclaim glory to God in the highest. We proclaim holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, right? Holy, holy, holy. It's the worship of God, um, and, and, and it's the cry of, of the church on earth, giving worship to God. But God is never outdone in generosity. And so um, God responds to us, in in the Holy Eucharist, he, 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 the the Mass is is a miracle, the greatest modern day miracle. People talk about apparitions or unusual things that happen, but every time we gather at the altar, there's a miracle, as through the power of the Holy Spirit, God changes ordinary bread and wine into the very body and blood of His Son Jesus Christ, as we give that worship, as, and we say in Mass, for our good and the good of all his holy church. You know? So so, um, so this is a powerful, powerful moment. We have, and, and, and that's got to be the key. Sometimes we can get caught up in the forms, we can get caught up in, in the disagreements, but at the heart, it's the real presence of Jesus, um, the, the worship of God. So, Remembering that and keeping that always at the heart of things, I, this letter, I think I, I see the uh, concern of the Holy Father as being a call to unity. Um, and he's, he, as pontiff, as the supreme bishop of all the church, the church throughout the world, not just you know one little corner of it, he's concerned about divisions. He's concerned about um, denials in the validity of Vatican II. I don't see abuses here in this diocese, but he he sees abuses, and again, he it, this is uh, this is the world that he's responsible for. Um, he, it, I see this document as a call for all of us, um, for all of us to uh, to to respond with. Um, Unity, charity, and reverence. He 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 speaks about um, sharing with Pope Benedict uh, a sadness at the abuses in the celebration of the liturgy on all sides. 
In common with Benedict XVI, I deplore the fact that in many places the prescriptions of the new missal are not observed in celebration, but indeed come to be interpreted as authorization for or even the requirement of creativity, which leads to an almost unbearable distortion. And he, you know, that's right. And I know that many people um, who love the Mass of 1962 are concerned about the reverence in the Novus Ordo. And I think that's legitimate. And I think that over the years, um, you know, we've seen some terrible experimentation, you might say, with with the sacred liturgy. So there's a call here to celebrating the Novus Ordo, to celebrating the ordinary form, the, the form of Mass that most of us are used to, the form of Mass that I grew up with, in a way that is reverent and prayerful and directed to God, not directed to our own selves. Um, uh, so, uh, so there is that call to unity. There's a call in this document to reverence. Um, and the... So the third thing I see has to do with the role of the bishop. And I welcome that. So Pope Francis is restoring to the local bishop the responsibility for the sacred liturgy celebrated in the extraordinary form. That's part of the munera. That's part of the responsibility of the bishop to care for the sacred liturgy. And so to not have care for a certain segment of it is probably not a good thing, you know. And, um, and, and so it's, it's a good thing. And I welcome that um, responsibility, and I'm going to take that very seriously. And my intention is um, to uh, – my intention is to be very – charitable about it, generous. I, I hate to put it that way because that sounds like a, a certain, you know, patronizing. That's not what I mean. I, 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 but, but, um, but I'm glad for some of the things that are taking place here in this diocese. You know that here in uh, Columbus, we're blessed with the presence of the Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign High Priest, right? Mm-hmm. We, we have it. Uh, their presence and they have established the Oratory of St. Leo. And I, in, in my view, at least, as I read this, um, some of the things that Pope Francis is most concerned about are ca- taken care of with the presence of the Oratory here in, in Columbus. That they do, um, it, it's about more than just reciting liturgy, reciting prayers. It's about pastoral care of souls. And so... We're able now, with their help, to offer you know the fullness of pastoral care um, at the oratory. Um, they are faithful priests. They are connected to the local presbyterate. So um, I'm very glad for their presence, and I'm looking forward to their continued service here in the diocese. So this isn't, I, I don't read this document as an end to the Latin Mass here in Columbus, nor is that my intention. Um, likewise, I know that there are some priests who offer it um, in their parishes um, on particular occasions. Um, I, my understanding largely is that it's offered in some places um, on a 
uh, you know, on a parish's feast day, the patronal feast, or um, sometimes it's done on Saturday, a day where you might not, you know, there may not have been the regular weekday mass because the focus was on the vigil mass, but or a day that the priest would not ordinarily be saying a parish mass, work, you know, maybe a neighboring parish would be offering the mass. Um, I actually, to be honest with you, Bill, I need to learn more. And I, again, I welcome the opportunity. I look forward to meeting with the priest who do offer the mass in the extraordinary form and coming to a greater understanding, also coming to know what the need is and trying to respond in a way that's faithful to what the Holy Father is calling us to, um, but in a way that's with fraternal charity and um, and support and uh, and that sense of unity. So I think I, I, that's probably, I know it's my third point, but that's probably what's on people's minds, what's happening here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, 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 Kind of, you know, I want to address that um, again. I'm glad for the uh, I'm glad for the um, institute and for what we have at the oratory at St. Leo, and um, and and I look forward to con- uh, conversations with the priest here. You mentioned several times having a true reverence for the miracle of the Eucharist in the Mass. What could we do as laymen and women to bring more reverence? to our own reception of the Eucharist? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, and it's something, you know, that, that we, uh, we, we, I, we spoke of um, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the bishops' meeting and that I addressed in last week's Catholic Times. Um, yes, the, what happens at Mass, and, and I don't say this lightly, sometimes we throw these words out like miracle very lightly, what happens at every mass is nothing short of a miracle and and that's regardless of the priest's approach i mean certainly we want to encourage our priests and I'm, and i encourage our priests and by and large my experience is that the priests do offer mass with reverence i think um that's you know but but the fact of the matter is regardless of whether we like his homily or not there is a miracle taking place right before our very eyes. Um, and, 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 of course, I think we as priests are going, part, especially with real presence, real future, we're going to really dedicate ourselves to, to, to that reverential celebration of the Eucharist. But I, you raise the question, what, what can we do? What, what can we, you know, men and women and young people who are coming to Mass... What do we do to, to reverence? Well, first of all, we remember what it's all about. It's an encounter with the person. You know, um, begin with Jesus. We begin with Jesus. That, again, you know, it's going to the Eucharist. I, I don't want to sound uh, uh, sacrilegious here, so bear with me, but... It's very different than going to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. We're not going to Mass to get a thing. It's very different than going to a doctor's office. We're not going there to have something happen. What? It's an encounter. 
it's a living encounter with the real person, a living person, with Jesus Christ himself. And so one of the things we need always is to recall that we live in the presence of Jesus. So we we prepare ourselves to a certain extent in, in the sense that we just keep in mind that no matter what, no matter what the priest, no matter what the choir, no matter what the church, I'm going to be with Jesus. You know, this Sunday, this gospel, it, and it's great, it's going to lead us into um, a few weeks of conversation uh, or reflection, I should say, about the Eucharist. But Sunday at Mass, it was a wonderful gospel. Jesus is there and his apostles. Remember last week he sent them out on mission? Mm -hmm. We heard how he sent them out on mission, gave them certain instructions. Well, now they're all coming back. And imagine it's like, you know, children coming back to their parent or to a teacher. And they told him all that they had experienced. They come back reporting. Can you imagine like kids coming back and Jesus, you have to see what happened. This is the most amazing thing. <laughs> they were they were excited. Um and Jesus patiently listened to them. He took them off in the boat to what was going to be a deserted place, but he spent they needed to be with him, simply to be with him. Not to have an agenda or a program. They needed to be with him. That's that's our Christian life. It's that mixture of like be, intensely living the gospel, and then coming to be with Jesus, and those two feed off of each other. So one of the ways we prepare for the Eucharist is by intensely living the gospel, and then knowing that we're going to be with Jesus. Jesus listens to us, and then of course we hear how as people saw them leaving in the boat, they ran around the lake. <laughs> So that they could get there before he did. Mm. And he had compassion on them and began to teach them. You know, um, so, so, so that connection with Jesus. Um, does it help to do things like to read the gospel ahead of time? Sure. Does it help to get there early and pray? And you know, and um, sorry if it, we, we have to try to encourage that silence before Mass. I know sometimes that's not the case. And maybe some of the responsibility relies, uh, falls to us as priests. It's something maybe we need to be a little bit more conscious of to make, foster that sense of silence before Mass. But come in and put yourself in the presence of the living God. Remember why we're there to offer our worship to God. And, you know, and then participate actively. That's part of the reform of Vatican II is the full active participation, you know, in offering the sacrifice of Christ. We are there to give worship to God. Again, it's, not, it's it, it, the old question of getting something out of Mass. Well, God is generous, and God does many things. He's never outdone in generosity. But we're there to give. We're there to give worship to God, to give thanks to God. Um, so, so we keep those things in mind and we remember, first and foremost, this is about an encounter with a person. So those, I think, are some of the things that we could do for sure. You know? Bishop Brennan, thank you for being such a great shepherd.
Could you close us with a prayer and a blessing? Sure, sure. You know, um, I kind of close with, if I were to add a fourth point, Pope Francis isn't the first one to address unity within the Church's liturgy. That happened with a bishop, oh, within 30 years after the resurrection (laughs) of Jesus. (laughs) St. Paul, you know, read those chapters of the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, 13. And and we use that scripture um, so... uh, so quickly, you know, love is patient, love is kind. And, and, and we use it at weddings, and oh, isn't it beautiful? Well, Paul wasn't very happy when he was saying those words. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually quite annoyed. And if you read those chapters, he was talking about divisions within the community, largely over the Eucharist. He was talking about what people do when they came together for the Eucharist. He was talking about um, he was talking about um, divisions within the community, and um, and a lack of reverence. So he he was talking about the very very things that we are talking about, you know. So um, what does he do? He speaks about the Eucharist, he brings us back to the um, to, to, to what the Eucharist really is. And, you know, he remember he gives us that um, he, he, that beautiful um, telling of the story of the Last Supper. And then he speaks about love. And that's what I, I think in the end our response for all of us, for our Holy Father, for me as a bishop, and for every Catholic, that when we speak about the sacred liturgy and we speak about the worship of God, we do it with love, love for God and love for each other. So let me close with Paul's words to the faithful community that was kind of fractured. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Paul tells us love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, love is not pompous, it is not inflated, it is not rude, it does not seek its own interests, it is not quick-tempered, it does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And then he goes on. So faith, hope, and love remain. These three, but the greatest of these is love. May Almighty God bless you and keep you always in his care. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And please remember, let's pray for Deacon Eugene to be ordained on um, 
uh, on Thursday. And by the way, also the Dominican Sisters, I'll talk about that uh, next week, the Dominican Sisters. I'll be re- receiving the first vows of the Dominican Sisters up in Ann Arbor on Friday. So permanent vows on Wednesday and first vows on Friday. So we pray for our Dominican Sisters who serve at St. Michael's and all of our religious. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today, Bishop Brennan, and now we rejoin our regularly scheduled programming already in progress.